Welcome to another episode of The Happiness Project. My name is Michael Hammond. I am a mental health public speaker for the Federal Speakers Bureau on Mental Health with the Government of Canada. I'm the founder of the Happiness Project Mental Health Support Group. I'm a member of the Knights of Columbus. And I live with mental illness. And like I do every other episode, I'm just going to come out and talk about it. Because to me, it's a normal thing. And the more we talk about it like it's a normal thing, the more it will become a normal thing. I'd like to thank everyone who encouraged me to start this podcast. It's been percolating for a couple months, maybe even a year. And the launch went really well. So I thank you if you had a kind word for me or if you've had any feedback. So we're on our way. And this week's episode, I wanted to talk about something uh, that was suggested actually by my wife. So I'm titling this episode, All the Small Things. Now, I'm wondering how many people remember that old song by Blink-182, All the Small Things. Not a fan of that song, but perhaps the sentiment fits for this episode. Small things are, by definition, not terribly important. In mental health, they are everything. Why? Well, life isn't a Hollywood movie. You don't wake up one morning with some inspirational music swell in the background and turn your life around in a matter of a couple minutes. Change is slow. That certainly has been in my life. Winning the battle against mental illness isn't a win at all. It's always a minute by minute or moment by moment victory. My advice to a lot of people is don't dwell on it. Be thankful that you had a moment's peace. Try and make it happen again. It's never over. I always tell people the battle's never over. And I, I don't want this to sound like a defeatist attitude. It, it's not. For me, it's reality. Every time I thought I had mental illness beaten, and you know, I essentially threw away my antidepressants, plowed forward into life, you know, as if mental illness wasn't a thing, thought it was part of my past, it always came back and it dragged me down, shocked me in some cases, and it let me know that it never left. The little things are what get you through each moment, each hour, sometimes each day, each meal. Sometimes it gets you through each shower, each phone call, all the things that sometimes when you're struggling, you don't know if you can do it. And I, I'm hoping people who don't suffer from mental illness can kind of keep an open mind because I'm sure there's some people saying, what do you mean each shower, each meal, each phone call? When you're sick, everything, everything is a struggle. So why are all these little things important to me? Maybe a few illustrations will help. If you don't suffer from mental illness, do you know what a huge victory it is to have a shower? Some of you might be wondering again, like, oh, come on, what are you talking about? But people who suffer from mental illness know. Why is a shower such an enormous thing? Well, because sometimes fighting the thoughts in your head is not only mentally exhausting, but it will very quickly become physically exhausting. The energy that you spend just staying upright 
and normal and going about your day, it could very quickly drain you of your resources. And these are the resources that your mental illness will give you in little tiny dribs and drops. I can remember in 2015, I, I was going through one of the worst periods of anxiety and depression and insomnia. This is all at once. I was basically operating on three to four hours. Um, sorry, I should say I was taking three to four hours a night just to fall asleep. Nothing was working. I was I had restless leg syndrome. My body was on high, high alert for whatever reason. The pain of this anxiety was deliberating. It included profuse sweating, chest pain, racing heart, stomach was in knots, shortness of breath, as I said, restless legs, days on ends, weeks, months. I remember lying in bed at night and you could just, I could feel my heart pounding in my chest, like, you know, almost kind of like to the point that it was like shaking the sheets. And on top of that, my medication was causing an adverse effect in my ears. It was causing massive ringing in my ears. My hearing in my right ear was fading in and out. And of course, I, that was not good for my anxiety because I thought I was losing my hearing. So it happened, there was one time when I believe I had gone three days without showering. Now, this was in the winter, so it wasn't as bad as it would have been in the summer, but I think it's the longest I've gone. And I remember at the moment when I was in the shower, how much relief I felt to be able to get myself into that shower. And it was probably one of the, some of the most peaceful, you know, five minutes I had experienced in weeks. For one thing, the sound of the water drowned out the ringing in my ears, which had become in, intense from the withdrawal I was suffering from stopping the medication that was ruining my ears and the after effects. So there was that. I remember doctors at the time telling me, oh, you know, the ringing will stop when you stop taking those meds. It never did. And that was a major blow to my hopes at the time. But that shower required an enormous act of will and strength just to get myself to do this. That's why I tell people when I give speeches, even if you feel you've got nothing left, your energy is pretty much nil. You need to figure out one way to fight against your illness, even if it's for a single moment. I call it my rule of five. I suggest to people to spend five minutes doing something that is in opposition to your illness. And then I tell them, if you can't handle five minutes, start with four. Can't start with four, make it three. If it's not three, then it's two. If it's not two, it's one. If it's not even one, I say start your day by allowing your toes to touch the floor when you just want to stay in bed. And it wasn't actually until this week that I um, realized that this is actually a legitimate form of therapy. And my counselor confirmed this to me because it's what is in fact called oppositional thinking. And this is, and I had stumbled across a form of treatment that I didn't even uh, I never put a name to it, but I, you know, I kind of gave myself a pat on the back for coming up with a legit, legitimate treatment on my own. But um, it means you are able to recognize in those tough moments that your thoughts and your actions aren't rational. 
and that these thoughts and actions aren't normal and these thoughts and actions aren't beneficial to your mood. So you need to figure out a way to act against those negative thoughts with a counter action. And I know I'm, I'm, I think I'm probably making this sound uh, a lot easier than it really is. It takes a lot of practice and willpower. I will say that it's taken me years to figure out how to do this effectively. You have to be able to get over the sickness for that one instance and tell yourself, this isn't me. And then you act against the sickness. When it's your sickness that's telling you you're miserable, you're, you're tired, you're this, you're that, let yourself wallow in it. And if you need to wallow in it, I always tell people, let yourself wallow in it, get it out of your system. However, if you are so inclined to fight against it in that one moment, you need to be able to have that moment of clarity where you say, this isn't me. And I'll say, you know, this type of treatment, oppositional thinking, the effects aren't always immediate. For me, it can sometimes take a few minutes, maybe an hour, before I can reverse the kind of mental slide. And I suggest that if you do work with a counselor, mention the strategy. It worked for me. It's something that in years past, I, I'd mentioned to another counselor, I called it fake it until you can make it. Now that's kind of an oversimplification, but if you can figure out one way to fight against your illness, the rule of five, like I said, if you can figure out what to do for those five minutes, great. If it's not five, four, if not four, you know how it goes, three, two, one, or even a moment. You would be surprised how something simple like saying no to your illness just for one moment can make a big difference. Getting back to that one act of defiance of your illness, why do you, you know, why does your toes hitting the floor matter or having a shower? Because you're giving your brain a fact that you are able to do something. You are giving your brain a reason why you can do something. You can tell yourself, I can shower today because I did it yesterday. Even if you can't repeat that action, you have the knowledge that you are capable of doing it. And that's where, in my opinion, you begin the long journey to taking back control. That's how I, that's, I mean, that's how I feel about it anyway. But this is the, to me, the difference between thinking positive and knowing you can accomplish something. I call it the difference between positive thoughts and knowing positive things are possible. For me, my anxiety in 2015 it was just off the charts. It's another story. Uh, another story I'll explain later. But I mean, as I said, my heart most nights was pounding to the point where I could like almost feel it shaking the sheets and comforter above my chest. This was during a spell of about you know four to five months of intense insomnia and withdrawal from the medication that I couldn't take anymore because it was hurting my ears. One small thing I did to rid myself of this anxiety and all of those symptoms that I, I, I mentioned before, I went on an early morning run. And this is after probably a couple years of not running regularly and I had two small kids at home. So when I say early morning run, I mean early morning. I woke up, 
you know, often like five in the morning because my anxiety wouldn't allow me to sleep any longer. I had no energy. When you, you know, take three to four hours a night to go to sleep, you wake up the next morning feeling hungover. So I felt it. Hungover, exhausted, no energy, you name it. Days on end um, of getting, you know, that two, three, four hours of sleep tops. And I was often out the door, 5.20, 5.30. And the first run, it barely got me to the end of my street. Maybe 440 meters, those in the States, about 440 yards before I was out of breath. We're talking about maybe a minute or so of running. But I stuck with it until I was running, I don't know, maybe about half an hour, which was immensely helpful in ridding myself of the physical symptoms of anxiety. And I can tell you, those were some cold, lonely mornings. And another example, in 20, in 2003-04, when I was in Peterborough, fighting something that I didn't know was an intense depression, I went for runs regularly. Went for very, very long bike rides. We're talking like hours at a time. I didn't even really realize it at the time, but this was again an almost unconscious version of oppositional thinking. I didn't know what I was fighting exactly, but I knew that I needed to fight the thoughts that were attacking me. So I ran, I biked, and I did a lot of things just to give myself a break from the thoughts. Again, the, the little things were what kept me going. Now I know it's the little things that are in fact the huge things in that moment. All right, now I want to put this into a spiritual context because as I mentioned, I'm a member of the Knights of Columbus. I'm a man of faith. I'm a Catholic, um, quite involved in my church community. The Happiness Project Mental Health Support Group was founded uh, out of St. Martin de Porres Church here in West Ottawa, as well as uh, two other churches in my neighborhood. So when you're struggling, there's that I don't know what other people go through, but for me, it was there was a voice in my head that told me that my suffering was for a reason and that I deserved this. That's a sickness talking. What you need to consider is, have I done things or made decisions today that are making my suffering worse? You know, take it out of the hands of, you know, your, your faith for a minute or take it out of the hands of God and say, well, let's put aside whether or not I think God's punishing me, what have I done to make things better today? And I mentioned in my speeches that I, you know, I stopped going to church twice in my life in the midst of intense suffering because I thought I was being punished and I thought that God didn't want me there. But there's something that many people showed me over the years and it's that amid all my anger and sadness, you know, during the course of my struggles, there were also many things in my life that were blessings. As simple as where I live, I live in a beautiful, safe city. The roof over my head. Not everyone can afford a home. The ability to afford psychological treatment. And I, I was thinking about this today. How bad would my suffering have been if I was in another part of the world? You know, it was that, it, and this took a long time for me to figure this out, but it was that ability to step back from those intense moments of suffering and realize that I have been blessed with so much and that is what helped me rediscover my faith, living a life of gratitude, being thankful for even the smallest things in life. And it also made me understand that God wasn't punishing me. And if you are a believer, do you ever sit back and wonder after, you, let's say you get through a tough trial in your mental health journey, how did I survive that? 
Well, sometimes the answer to a faithful person is it's through the strength given to you by God. There was a, this was back when I was a kid, there was a wise old Irish priest from who um, came into my grade school to talk to us. Um, he was with the parish that was connected to my, uh, my grade school. And he often told us, God helps those who help themselves. I think that's perfect. You know, there will be no thunderbolts coming out of the sky. And if, and to be honest, if God solved all of your problems, what would the point of your life be? By shielding you from everything, is God also not, you know, preventing you from making choices? Which, doesn't that in turn mean you're not free? I Me, mean, I believe in free will. It sometimes leads to me making bad choices that makes my suffering worse. But it also allows me to find the strength that I didn't know I had. That's the God that I know. And that's what a life of gratitude has done for me. It's allowed me to realize how great my life is even when I'm struggling because I have so much around me. And it has allowed me to be thankful to God for everything around me, even when things are not going perfectly. So that in a nutshell is what I think about doing the little things, about all the small things that can help you, whether from a spiritual point of view or just from a practical point of view. I often um, tell people that if you're going to look at your sickness in its entirety, if you think, oh, you know, I've been struggling for six months, there's no way out of this, every day is the same, it's awful, then that to me is the type of thinking that'll lead you to, you know, going and lying down in your bed and closing your eyes and having a nap. And I'm not saying that that's, I'm not saying if that's what you need, that that's not what you should do. But what I'm saying is when you look at your, when you look at everything in its totality, yeah, it can be overwhelming. Or if you look at what can I do in this moment and then move on to the next moment, sometimes, you know, it's like they say, the journey of a thousand miles begins with a single step. Sometimes you need to focus on the next step you're taking rather than the journey of a thousand miles. So I appreciate, I know that's, uh, I was throwing a lot at you, but I, I, I appreciate um, everything that um, people have told me and expressed to me um, as I've launched this podcast. And I would encourage you, if you are suffering or if you know someone that is suffering, to please get in touch with the people in your community that can help you. There are mental health distress lines and there are professionals whose job it is to help you. And it's the same if you are someone that wants to help a friend, the best thing you can do is point them to the professionals who can help them. And I would encourage you to do that. There's lots of resources in all communities. And if you want to get in touch with me at The Happiness Project, uh, simplest way, type in Happiness Project Ottawa in Facebook. There you will find our Facebook page. You can email me at happinessprojectottawa. That's one word. Ottawa at gmail.com. You can also find us on YouTube. Just type in Happiness Project Ottawa. You'll find some of our videos there. Lots of ways to get in touch with us. And you can also find the link to our website from our Facebook page. I'm throwing a lot of information at you. We have a lot of long addresses. So just go to Facebook, Happiness Project Ottawa. That's the best way to get started. Thank you so much for joining me for this episode. My name is Mike. We'll talk to you again. God bless.